0: What is up, my friends? Welcome to Rebellion Creates Fatherhood Field Notes podcast, where we hear real stories from real men living real lives. I'm your guide, Ned Shout. Fatherhood is not only about being a dad, it incorporates providing and serving a home, loving and serving a spouse, engaging and serving in a community, as well as intentionally serving your kiddos. Fatherhood is an adventure one full of fun, wild, and definitely messy stories. In this podcast we will hear stories from real men who have found themselves living the adventure of fatherhood. Today's episode is with Aaron Klein. He is a husband working on their 20th year of marriage. He and his wife have adopted 3 children internationally and he is the co-founder and CEO of Riskalize, a financial technology company with over 200 employees. In this podcast we discuss marriage, we discuss international adoption, work-life balance and the importance of teaching your children about money i know you're going to enjoy this episode if you do please write a review very helpful go follow us on facebook and instagram and stay in tune with all things and create is up to one of the things you'll see right now on the instagram and facebook is this amazing gift we have for father's day if you know a new dad this is a killer first father's day gift if you know a dad who would just love a rad gift on father's day go check it out Uh, and create created this box called adventure of fatherhood for this first one we did a limited run of 50 Uh, we worked with valiant coffee we have an amazing bag of coffee a mug an adventure of fatherhood t-shirt which just looks so cool and the fatherhood legacy journal for 65 dollars. check it out we did 50 of them so they're going to go quick um but check out the adventure of fatherhood box and you can look at that and order that on rebel and create's website which is www.rebelandcreate.com enjoy this conversation around fatherhood All right, welcome to another episode of Fatherhood Field Notes. I am so excited to be hanging out with Aaron Klein. How are you doing, Aaron?
1: Doing well. Thanks for having me today.
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, We've met a couple of times. Um, We live in the same town, but um, I've always found your story very interesting around fatherhood, and I know that our listeners will too, so I'm excited to get into that. Uh, But before we do, I'd like people to get to know you a little, so I'm just going to rapid fire a few questions. How old are you? 41. 41. Nice. And how yep. long have you been married?
1: Uh, Going on 20 years. So 20 years this uh, this next. We actually just celebrated 19. So I can now say that. So going on 20 next year, uh, next April.
0: Man, congratulations. That's awesome. Thank 20 you. 20 years. That's yeah. a long time. It is. So, so married we were at, married at we 21 married. Then?
1: married at 22. I was 22 and she was 20. Okay. So okay. yeah. Yep.
0: So real quick, what do you think about that, getting married young? Because that's kind of changed a little bit in our current culture. What do you think about it? Yeah.
1: I mean, you know, it's one of those things that I, it certainly worked for us, right? Like Mm -hmm. I I wouldn't go out there and say, oh, yes, like that is clearly the right answer to life's problems. Like just get married (laughs) young. Like for, you know, there were, there were a lot of interesting challenges that we, I think that we, you know, have experienced because of that. Um, but a lot of really good things too. Um, and I would say, you know, it, it was kind of interesting. Like we, we both grew up in like large families. So I was the oldest of six. My wife was the oldest of okay. eight. And so, wow. you know, so we, we, I, we, we have, the, we have these really big, loud, raucous families and it's, it's a lot of fun. They're, they're, they're great. And we, we get along with all of them. Um, but I, you know, uh, all that to say, like, we got married, and we were both the oldest. And so we're, we kind of looked at each other, we're like, we've had kids for years, like we're on (laughs) break, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. we, I I often say like, I love being a dad. But those seven years before we had kids were like seven of the best years of my life. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and I love being a dad. And I love my kids. And yet, I'm also I'm also sitting there going like this is a great life phase and I want to just like be 100 percent into this life phase and not just be constantly thinking about the next life phase. Um, But, you know, I I, at some point, like the youngest, you know, like like moves out and you sit there and you go, we'll we'll have we'll have that time to be on break again. And I can't say that uh, there are some days that I don't look forward to that more than others, you
0: know? Yeah, for sure. That's funny. Yeah, Yeah, that's great. Uh, We got married. I turned 21 six days before our wedding. So similar, you know, and you go, we grew up together. Um, Yeah. So I mean, I think there's benefits to it. But you know, I don't at the same time, I don't want my daughters to get married at 21. (laughs) You know, (laughs) it's funny. Now you you look at a 21 year old now and, and I'm not all like millennials are all bad. I think that I no. I don't even know if a 21 year old is a millennial, but I go, man, I must well, look like know. such See, a baby. I, I really believe, I really believe, millennial
1: is not a generation; it's a mindset, right? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, like, I've like met that. forty i I've met 45 year old millennials, right? And I've met, I've met like 20 year old greatest generation people, like, like seriously, mm-hmm. it is a mindset. And so, yeah, there, you, you look at the millennials out there <laughs> from a mindset perspective, and you go. Getting married is the last thing you should do because you actually have to learn how to get along with somebody else, you know? <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, it's so funny. So yeah. you said it, you waited seven years and then you had yep. you have kids. So how many kids do you have?
1: Yeah, we have three. We have three. And, uh, and how old our are they? Story, well, so our story is a little different. My My first son is now 13 and then my daughter is 11. And then our third kid is our oldest. We adopted him most recently, and he is uh about to turn sixteen. so he turns 16 in July. Okay. Yeah, I uh, can't get home, into that.: Yeah, he came home at about 11 years old, so that that that' one's, that one's you know about four 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 or so years old right now. Okay. Yep.
0: Nice. And then, and then, just to give people an idea of of kind of your day to day, how you provide for family, we're going to be mainly be talking fatherhood. But um, sure. in a minute or less, tell us what you do uh, to provide for the family.
1: Yeah. Sure. Well, I I, I co-founded a uh, software company that serves financial advisors. It's called Riskalyze, and uh, um, you know hel- helps financial advisors figure out. Uh, who their clients are from a risk perspective and kind of match that up with the risk in their portfolios. And, um, you know, I, I my career's kind of been at the intersection of finance and technology. And so um, that's been uh, that's been really, uh, uh, you know, a, a great a great career. Uh, and and this company kind of took off. Um, in a way that, you know, I mean, you always kind of hope that's, what's going to happen when you start a company. Right. But it really did kind of right. take off beyond our wildest dreams. Um, and, and that was, uh, so that, that actually has quite an impact on me, I would argue, uh, from a fatherhood perspective, because it's a pretty intense job. So we, we have, you know, uh, pretty close to 200 employees. Uh, and yeah. uh, serve tens of thousands of financial advisors across the country so that involves a lot of travel that involves a lot of time and so um, so it impacts it and i a lot of people say what are your hobbies and i go i don't really have time for those man i've got my right. company and kids right and so yep. uh, you know family and company like that's that's pretty much enough to fill your days you know
0: yeah and risk allies are you coming up on 10 years? Uh, pretty close to celebrating 10 years. Is that right? Uh, it will be next Maybe. year. That's right. It'll be next, next year.
1: started in 2011. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So as you think about that, you go, okay, you have a th- 11-year-old, a 13-year-old, and a 16-year-old, but the 16-year-old came four years ago. So in the in the yeah. same time span, it's like, okay, you launched this company. So kudos to your rad wife who is like, yeah, go start yes. this company. We have a, uh, let's see, a, a two-year-old and a, three, three or four year old. And then in the midst of that, let's go ahead and adopt an 11 year old. Um, so yeah, I mean, we all know that behind every good dude is a a better lady. So, um, so that's awesome. So why don't you, before we get into, um, my, my rebel and create question for a second, let's talk about over the last 10 years, you've clearly probably done really well at balancing your time work-life balance and also yeah. had moments of failure so what are a couple of things that you've learned over the last 10 years that are helpful to to really all men who are working right i mean yeah. yours might be uh, intensified having the fast growth 200 employees etc but maybe share some some systems or tools you use for that work-life balance
1: yeah i mean it's really interesting that you um you know said that about, about my wife, because that's, that's so very true. But to be honest, like probably I have to go back a little bit more than 10 years because Mm -hmm. in, in 2008 um, and so this is, you know, a year after we brought home our first kid. Right. And um, we, we kind of, we, we were kind of struggling there. And I think a big part of it was that I just didn't really know how to be a dad. Like I, I, I really didn't know how to do that from a, in a full spectrum way. And, and, and what I mean by that is like, I certainly, it was modeled pretty well for me by my dad. Like I've got a great dad, right? He, he taught me a lot. Um, But there were just pieces about like how to actually do that on a day to day basis and what that actually looked like um, that I don't think I really understood at that point in time. And it, it led to me, Um, you know, I actually, I, I, I I did not read this really well for my wife, but it led to her getting pretty, like, like a growing sense of her getting really upset with me. Like, just like, like me not being a super engaged, uh, dad, it was almost like, like the kid thing was her thing. And Mm. I was working really hard. And, you know, and, and like I, I loved coming home and like playing with him at night and, and, and helping to put him to bed and stuff. But that was kind of the extent to which I was like engaged there. And my my headspace was like 100 percent off in the work sphere, you know. And yeah. um, so it, it, that was that was some tough times in our in our marriage to just kind of process through that. And, you know, I kind of like woke up to a wife who was like not happy with me. You know, Um, and and I just, you know, it it felt like it just happened. And like, I think it had been building. I just couldn't see it, but it just felt like it happened. And um, so I I just kind of went to ground at that moment and just said, like, I got to figure this out. And I can't remember if somebody gave it to me. I've been trying to figure out the source of this, but I somehow ran across this book with a crazy name by Andy Stanley. And it's a book called Choosing to Cheat. And basically the premise of the book you're like how can a pro family book be called choosing to cheat like <laughs> like the the premise of the book is like hey there are opportunities that you have to kind of cheat at the margins of your career to put your family first right mm-hmm. like of course you have to provide for them of course you have to work hard to do that like nobody's asking you to like go get go get you know like 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 walk away from your career and not provide for your family but You know, you you have to just like life is a series of choices and you have to choose on the margins. Where can you cheat your career and not have any bad repercussions to invest that time in your family? Right. So, you know, that just I don't know. It resonated to me like I, I was able to all of a sudden go, okay, so now I know what that means. Here's what that means for me when it is 545 and I can either drive home and be on time for dinner or I can answer two more emails you know what? I'm going to choose to cheat. I will drive home and be on time for dinner. I will answer those emails later. Right. Um, It it, it looked like, you know, I can get up at, I can start getting up at 5am and not roll out of bed at like seven. Right. Right. And I can, I can time shift that and I can be home at six so that I'm spending time with them. And I'm not just like, oh, I got to work late again tonight or something like that. Right. I can just prioritize that and I can go work a little bit more from nine to 1030 if I need to, you know? Yeah so, yeah. so it was really about just like having that mindset and and flipping that mindset where I'm not constantly cheating my family to make my career move forward. I'm just doing a little bit of cheating at the margins of my career where it's not going to hurt me to move my family forward. and And that kind of changed everything for us.
0: So clearly, it worked out, right? Business is still good, and it's worked. But what would you say that piece is, that mindset, like the why behind it? Why did it matter to you? And I ask because clearly going to work, uh, you're probably going to see faster results um, and more pats on the back from people at work and new clients, etc. versus, you know, with your kids and your spouse, it can be, Mm -hmm. you know, months and years until you see, some results. So, what was the why that made you care to to fill that need to to be there for your kids and spouse versus just digging deeper yeah. into work? Well, I mean, I'm embarrassed to
1: say that I think I let it go so long, or I think I let it go so deep that, like, I, I'm I'm really serious. Like, my wife was not in a good place with me. I'm not mm. saying that like oh, we're we're a month yeah. from filing divorce papers or something like that, but like. It, it was kind of a wake up call. She, she, what happened is is she did a slow boil and then she just got to this point and she couldn't kind of take it anymore. And, you know, and she just kind of like, let me have it. And, um, and it was, and I, I, I just, you know, it, I don't know. I, I chose to take that at face value and I'm really grateful that I was able to do that. And um, I chose not to just brush that under the rug And I just genuinely said to myself, if you don't get this right, like you could lose the most important thing, you know, that you have. Right. And my career is important to me and it's great to me. But like, I I, I could not take her for granted in that way. And I could not, um, it just wasn't going to work. And so, so it just was really clear to me in that moment that the why was like, save your marriage, right? Don't do this because you have to do this because you want to save your marriage.
0: Yeah. Man, that's so yeah. powerful. It's like, it almost gives me chills because I just think that that piece for whatever reason is sometimes missing in our culture that for a man to be vulnerable and humble enough to to not take the blast as mm. just an ego hit and say, fine, screw it. I'm just going to work. You could leave if you want, but to go, hang on a second. Right. I have two choices, you know, and I just think that m- so many men find themselves in that spot of, I have these two choices. And I don't know what the tools are. I don't know what the you know bottle it up and sell it is to to help them choose this path. But obviously, you know, when you're 80 years old, the path you chose, you'll feel so much better about. It's not easy. It's not easy in the yeah. moment. Um, yep. But yeah, well, man, that's, and, and there's that's been incredible. there have been
1: plenty of moments in our marriage, you know, before then and since then, where you know I I will. <laughs> this, I I, I I hope anybody who might be listening, who cans peas for a living is not offended at this statement. But like, I will, I will say to her, like, do you want me to just quit my job and go can peas for a living? Right? Like, I don't know where I came up with that. Right. But I will, yeah. I will say that, right. I'll be like, look, I can have that nine to five job, you know, where, where you don't, you, you know, you clock in and you and you do something. And that's good, solid, honest work. But like, I, you know, we have some opportunities in our lives because I, 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 I care more about work outside of those hours. Right. And I apply some of my skills and talents outside of those hours. And so like, it is a balance, like we do get some benefit from that. Right. And, and so I, I, I remember like saying that so many times and just like, we're missing each other in such a profound Mm. way and I had to learn, and I'm still not perfect at it, but I, I just had to learn sometimes to like to like step back and detach a little bit and just step back and go, what's the real issue here? Like what is what is really happening here? Because I don't think that she actually wants you to quit your job and, right. and can peas for a living and make right. 10 bucks an hour. Like I, I that's not what she wants. What what is what is she actually kind of after? And You know, frankly, a big part of it was not, um, I, my perception, at least, uh, she'll listen to this podcast later and tell me, no, I'll tell you exactly what it is. But, but but I, no, I, I, think that like my, my perception is, is that it was not so much that she wanted quantity of time as that she wanted a true partner engaged in the thinking behind raising our kids and the thinking behind what decisions to make with our kids right and not just like uh, the cool dad who comes home and plays with them for a little bit and puts them to bed and then like parenting's kind of right. your thing like you figure out the school and the direction and all that kind of stuff and and not to say that we don't like split roles but now we're we're pretty like uh, explicit about it like like we understand that like I've got a career and I've got these responsibilities and so these are the things that I will do very actively. Like I take care, you know, we've, we've got a couple of kids with special needs who have meds. Like I I'm the one who makes meds for the week on Saturdays, mm. right? Like I'm yeah, the one who yeah. does this. I'm the one who does that. We, we, we have stuff that we have just like agreed very explicitly. Like, here's how we're going to, it's not that I make the money and you do everything else. Like yeah. we, we, we're going to be very clear in our marriage on how we share that responsibility of these great kids.
0: Man, I yeah, that's incredible. And and if I were to kind of pull out the tool that I heard is if men could just mentally tell themselves, okay, when these moments come, right? Cause I'm not gonna be yeah. perfect. And and when these moments come, here's what I'm gonna do. And know before you go to battle. And what you did was you didn't react. You said you took a step back. So you took a step back and you assessed the situation. Cause right as if I'm offended, I'm obviously. Well, right off bat. I just want to say, like,
1: like I am, I am a guy, so I did react for the first thirty times, okay, and then I learned to not react and take a step back. But keep going. I'm sorry, but
0: you, you know. but you didn't react to the extent that you submerged yourself in work, and then thirty years from now, you looked back and said, mm-hmm. "Dang it, I missed it," right? You, you yeah. might have reacted in the moment, and I think that will happen, right? If you call me out, I'm going to be offended in the moment. But if I then mm. walk away and assess it, and you said your wife didn't have like ill will or ill intention or yep. want a divorce or anything like that, so you had to you had to physically you know, like mentally say, okay, where is she at? Let me put myself in her shoes. Oh, she's not yep. she's not mad at me. She's not angry at me. She's like frustrated. So how can I fix that? So I just think as dudes, if we can be ready when those moments come to step back and assess. Realize the other person's intention and then make decisions out of that. I mean, I think we'll find more harmony and joy in our relationships for sure. Which I would say is one of the greatest gifts we can give our kids. The world is hard. The world is difficult. Yeah. You know, absolutely. And and if I can show them that I can make it work with a spouse, especially it seems like God puts somebody who's somewhat opposite us in a lot of areas. (laughs) You know. (laughs) True. But our culture is continuously just dividing and separating over the most little things. And a marriage is really the most beautiful example of two different people, two opposite sex people coming together and showing it's possible. So, uh, oh, so good. Okay. So this podcast is rebel and create. Create. And it's mm-hmm. that we, you know, this came to me in 2015. I wanted to rebel against finding my identity outside my home and create the life and legacy that I wanted with my family. And so it could be something as small as I'm rebelling against, you know, getting home at 730. You know, you've already kind of talked about stuff you're rebelling against uh, because I want to create family dinner. So um, you've shared a couple of things, but is there anything else that uh, you're currently rebelling against? And if if you're rebelling, what do you hope to create out of that?
1: Yeah. Um, I think w- w- one of the, it's kind of connected to the same subject, but I would say that, um, you know, there's, I feel like there's kind of two extremes on the topic of work life balance, right? Cause, cause we can listen to kind of a one dimensional discussion of work life balance and just go, look, like you gotta be more balanced, right? So you gotta just turn mm-hmm. it off and you gotta focus on your family and it'll always be there the next morning. And you know, like, like i I don't know I'll just put it this way like that's not incredibly realistic with some jobs like the one that I've got right um, and so and so but on the other hand I can't use that as an excuse to like swing the pendulum all the way over to the other side and therefore say okay I just have to be consumed by work 24 7. And these, you know, short people running around my house will surely understand because I'm going to have a super cool inheritance to give them down the road. Right. Like like that's not the right answer either. And so I just think that those two extremes um, are, are, you know, kind of need to be rebelled against. So um, there's there's a couple of like um, relatively silly and simple things, but they've been really helpful to me. That, that I feel like I kind of created to to rebel against the extreme. So one of them is, um, man, I found myself like tethered to my iPhone, like in the evenings, right? And when I say tethered, like I'm not reading it constantly, but it's kind of like I have to carry it everywhere with me because – Um, you know, like there could be an emergency, like there could, you know, servers could go down, uh, uh, you know, a critical customer could have a problem or, you know, there, we, we have a data center team that is monitoring things around the clock and making, you know, what if there's an issue there and they need to reach me. And I, you know, I, I I don't know. And, and some of this is built up in my head more than anything else, but like there is stuff that happens. Right. And, and, Uh, And that's just the reality of running a business with a little bit of complexity in it. And and that's the reality. So one of the things when the Apple Watch came out, like uh, one of the things that I stumbled upon was turning like like I love the Apple Watch. I turned off all of the notifications except Mm -hmm. for the telephone or iMessage. Like that's it. That's the only thing that will make my wrist buzz. So uh, guess what that has freed me up to do is I don't have to be tethered to the phone in the evenings. Like I can literally, I'm not saying I never touched my phone in the evenings, but like, I literally don't have to stress about whether I will hear my phone or something like that. Right, like right, right. I can be in my son's room talking to him and not have my phone clutched to my side because you know what? My wrist still buzz if it's an emergency. I've told my staff like, that's how you ping me if there's an emergency after hours, right? Like text me right. or call me. Like, that's how you do it. And so that one little thing, like uh, by turning off all the other noise, like I'm not getting Slack messages from people working late who are mm-hmm. just saying, Hey, do you have a second? Like, could I talk to you about that? Like th- I, that truly can, that's a choose to cheat moment, right? Like that can wait right, right. until, until nine thirty, or it can wait until the next morning. And, and, you know, I'm like, Hey, if it's an emergency, I'm still available. Like I get it. I, I I I'm the CEO of this company. I have to do that. But this is how you're going to reach me, and and it's not going to be that I'm like attuned to every ping or beck or call. Like you know how to reach me if it's a real emergency. It cut emergencies down by like ninety seven percent. Right.
0: Wow. Yeah. That's good. And, mm-hmm. and so
1: it's been powerful. It's been really powerful.
0: The other thing. Yeah, so the- um, oh, good. No, no, no. Please.
1: I, I was just going to say the other the other thing that I kind of created out of this is, um, you know, and, and and it's it's turned into this is relatively recent, but um, I, I found myself just kind of getting sucked into the rush of the day too quickly. Like I would mm-hmm. get up and, you know, you flip open your phone and you're like looking at all the emails that are coming in and I get up early, like I get up at 5 a.m. now um, and that's a big part of how I get home for dinner at night And so, you know, so that's, that's what I do. And I, but I would open up my phone and like, you know, there's emails from the East coast and there's stuff that happened overnight. And there's, you know, everything that's gone, all the emergencies that I ignored last night in Slack and blah, 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 and and all that kind of stuff. Right. And, um, and so what I recently started doing is just going, you know what, like there's a couple of things I'm going to do before I open that up. And, um, and and so you know I, I I sit there and take a few minutes and read, um I I take a few minutes and really think and write, um you know I, and and I when you say like well what are you writing about I I a lot of people talk about journaling I've never really been a journaler like I've never, you know like like writing a big note to myself or something like that like I've just I don't know it's just never been me so what am I writing in this notebook It's really like Brainstorming solutions to problems. And the mm. problems, it's a fascinating notebook for me because the problems are like all over the board. Like it's a crazy notebook. If somebody was ever to get a hold of it, like I, <laughs> I, I hide it away, right? Like it's because it's like sometimes it's like work problems, sometimes it's right. like, uh, 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 you know, somebody on my leadership team that I'm struggling with on something. And like, I need to figure out a solution to solve this. And I'm like writing and writing and writing pages of like thinking trying to, trying to just organize my thoughts about that problem, you know? And then, and then the next morning, like what I'm really wrestling with is something with my son and a friend he's struggling with and like how I can help him think about solving that problem. Right. And I'm writing about that for a few minutes. And I just found that like this, I I am, I'm a huge technology person. Like I use devices like all day long and there is something too. I always thought this was ridiculous when I heard people say that I'm like, no, I write best with a keyboard. It's like, I don't know. There's some, you get a different level of creative thinking if you will just sit down with a pen and, and write something out. And it's, it's a thinking process. It's not a writing process. Like the writing is not the point it's the thinking that is the point.
0: Yeah, getting and, so, out. and then the
1: last thing is I'll go work out before. And then like, like it's, I, I get off the Peloton bike or whatever it is. And that is when I will check email and what happened overnight, like not before. And so, so setting up a morning you know,
0: routine has been helpful to yeah, not rush into the been day.
1: Really helpful. Not rush into the day. Yeah. Yep.
0: That's powerful. That's really good. Yep. Um, all right. Well, I want to get into this a little bit because as, as our, you know, this is a fatherhood podcast yeah. and we've already talked about a bunch of amazing things. Um, but you guys have a unique situation. You, you, you have three kids. You've already mentioned that they're, yeah. they're adopted. Uh, two or yep. two were adopted from Ethiopia and one from South yep. Korea, correct? Correct. So, when so when we, let's talk when about we that went,
1: process. Yeah. When we went to, um, first of all, we, my wife and I were never like diagnosed with any reason we couldn't have kids biologically. We, it just like didn't happen. Uh, and you know, it it was one of those things where we kind of just said, wait a minute, like maybe this is God's plan a for us, you know? And, um, part of it was that my youngest sister was adopted. So I was very familiar kind of with the process and how it worked. And so I was very comfortable with it. And so, um, and you know, was so she we, adopted, adopted Was
0: she adopted from the States or out of country? Romania.
1: Romania. Romania.
0: Okay. So you've had yeah. the full experience of having an adopted sister from another country. International adoption. Exactly. Okay. And so, so, you know, we, we talked about it. We actually explored all the different
1: modes of adoption, but international was what kind of fit us in the moment. Um, okay. And so we actually ended up calling the same adoption agency my parents had used. Uh, it's a group called Holt International. Um, this couple Harry and Bertha Holt back in the fifties had seen these, um, you know, newsreel films of Korean war orphans, uh, mm. you know, that were like, you know, father wow. was an American GI, mother was a Korean woman and they were kind of rejected and shunned by Korean society. And so they, uh, they invented international adoption. They literally went to, they lived in, in Eugene, Oregon. They went to Congress. They got a bill passed that was called the Holt Bill. They invented international adoption. Wow. Uh, and, uh, okay. I know. Crazy. They had six biological kids. They brought home eight two year old Korean war orphans, uh, eight of them, because they had, you know, at the eight same time. At the same time. Not, wow. not recommended. Not recommended. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Wild. Um, because, yeah. Wild. So then Harry actually ended up like moving to Korea and starting an orphanage there. And like you know, this is just this amazing couple that just basically gave their lives to this cause for the rest of their lives. Mm. Um, he died in South Korea, you know, and and she held down the fort in Oregon. Like like I, I you know they'd see each other from time to time, traveling back and forth. But like crazy, like they just gave the rest of their lives yeah. to the cause yeah. of, of orphans. And so, um, so it's a great organization, and uh, uh, we so we called them. And they, you know, their program in Korea uh, was such that, you know, they're obviously they're a trusted partner of the Korean government. It's, it's a, it was a relatively simple process in those days. Um, and so, you know, we applied, got accepted. And I think that was June of 2006. And we brought Spencer home in November of 2007. So, okay. um, yep. So that was, that was the, you know, it's about a year and... Uh, four months or so. And that's, and that's how old was know, he? He was eight months old. So we were matched with him. He was about two months old. And then it was another six months of process before we got to go and, and bring him home. And so, um, yeah, incredible experience.
0: So a couple of questions As, as if, if I'm listening, I am listening, yeah. you tell me. What is the cost? Like, what is the cost to do that uh, this ballpark?
1: Yeah, so our cost... For that, for 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 Korea, then in two thousand seven was somewhere in the range of like thirty thousand dollars, thirty thirty two, okay. thirty three thousand bucks, right? And I'll tell you what, like we didn't have that kind of money, and I am a planner, right? So I'm like I'm like well, like let's. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna save half the money, and then we'll apply, and then we'll do this, and you know my my wife uh, was very sweet and just kind of looked at me and said or maybe we could just kind of trust God for the money and we could like apply and start like raising money in some way, shape or form. And I'm like, that's a pretty good idea too, you know? And so, so we, we went down, we went down that road and I mean, it was amazing what happened. So our, I mean, our families contributed in such an amazing way. Our, Mm -hmm. um, you know, a, a few of our family members, you know, had become pretty successful, you know, business wise. And so, I mean, they made just incredibly generous contributions towards that um, uh, show hope, which is the uh, adoption uh, orphan care uh, initiative that was started by uh, Stephen Curtis Chapman and his wife, Mary Beth, uh, the the musician Um uh, actually gave us a show hope grant of like $3,000 and like, nice. just, just like crazy stuff. So it, it all, my wife like sewed and sold like aprons for adoption and stuff like that. And, um, you know, there were people who so paid $500 it, for a stupid apron, you know, and just, yeah, just yeah, amazing yeah.
0: things like that. Right. What a fun, what a fun experience. So when Spencer comes home <clears throat> yeah what would you say what i mean obviously you bring bringing home an eight month old already right so you didn't go through the nine months okay we're pregnant okay we're ready okay now we're going through the you, you bring home an eight month old um so it's not just that he's from south korea you have eight month old from another country your first time parents what was something yeah. that you remember as oh this is amazing and wonderful and then oh this was really hard
1: Oh, well, you know, first of all, amazing and wonderful. Like the pregnancy felt really long, right? Cause it was a year and four right, a months. year and a half. And then, yeah. and then you bring home a baby who, as soon as you get him flipped to your time zone is sleeping through the night. So it kind of felt like we cheated to some extent. Okay. Right. Yeah. <laughs> nice. uh, so that, that was, that was probably the amazingly good. Um, you know, I, there, there was, there was so much that we had to learn. Um, I, I would argue that like those first couple of years, um, were pretty great, but you know that was the period of time that I was talking about earlier, where you know I think I really just had to learn how to be a dad, like mm-hmm. on a day to day basis, you know, like I, and again, there, there, I look back at my own childhood and I look back at my dad and I realized that like he did many of the things that I had to learn how to do when I kind of hit that inflection point, right? So mm-hmm. it wasn't that it wasn't modeled for me as much as. I just didn't like have the pieces put together and didn't know how to operationalize that on a day-to-day basis. And and so, you know, it, 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 that was, but that was that time, right? And that was probably the hardest part was just like learning how to be an engaged dad and a real partner to my wife in this in this journey and not just kind of go, yeah, he's a lot of fun to play with in the evenings. This is your deal. Like, you know, let, let me know yeah. what you think. You know? <laughs> yeah. What would
0: you say what would you say in, in a couple of words, like what do you think the role of the dad or father is? Oh, that's a great question. Um, just, to, just to ask you a, like a really simple question. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, I mean, so, so obviously in, in most families and every family is different, but in most families, it starts with provider. Um, mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, I think what I had to learn was that it was a lot more than that. Right, mm, because yeah. mm-hmm. it 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 moved on to like um, nurturer, teacher, um, guide. Uh, I love guide. And yeah, guide's so yeah, powerful. Yeah, and 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 um, and, she, and and I w- I would just say like biggest fan, right? And so mm. like it, it moved on to those things, but it it took it took it took a year and a half or two. For me to like learn that part of the job. Um, and you know, and, and what cracks me up about that, Ned, is that like to adopt, we had to go do five parenting classes, right? And so these were put on by the adoption agency. Mind you, there's a lot of really valuable stuff we got out of it because they talk about some of the unique issues you're gonna deal with as an adoptive parent who has a child who's you know, got a different racial background than you have. And like, you know, how do you deal with some of these questions? When somebody mm-hmm. says to you something like, you know, oh, you know, do you have any real children? You know, like, how do you answer that? Because he is a yeah. real child, right? Like, uh, you know, and you can take that either very personally, or you can say, hey, this is an opportunity to help somebody understand how to how to think about adoption, rather than, right you know, uh, make the wrong assumptions. Right. And so, so anyway, there was a lot that was valuable in those parenting classes, but I'll tell you, there's nothing in those parenting classes that taught me like just the experience of going, man, you better figure this out. You better figure out how to, how to be an engaged dad and, and not, uh, not just be kind of this absentee provider because, you know, this is not going to work and you're going to lose what's important to you.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. That's really good. So let's fast forward to yep. now you are going to adopt again. And this time you adopt from Ethiopia. Let's talk about that for a right. minute.
1: Yeah. So we, we literally like, uh, you know, it's probably a year after Spencer has been home. Um, we decided to um, start the adoption process again. And uh, we called, you know, Holt International again. And they said, you know, the wait time for Korea has ballooned out to like three years. Wow. And so we because we were just assuming we were going to go to Korea. Now, Korea, it's very interesting. International adoption. Uh, is driven first of all it's it's really pulled back now there's there's a very very small number of international adoptions happening right now it's kind of a political football like countries don't want to export their children uh, i'm i'm using air quotes there because yeah, yeah. You know, like that's not what they're doing but uh, that's the perception in kind of geopolitics and so um, so it's kind of become this thing, and the United Nations is kind of taking this tech. Oh, kids should really stay in their home culture; like they shouldn't be taken out of their culture. You know, I I, I just kind of disagree with that idea. Like like we are an Ethiopian Korean American family. Like like we have taken you know, that culture and woven it into our family. We're not just taking these kids who happen to have been born in Korea or Ethiopia and making them Americans. Like we are just a woven together, Korean, Ethiopian, American family. Uh, but anyway, geopolitics aside. Yeah, but just, um, just
0: to say that it's like, I, I heard you say that you do, you know, some of the holidays and things like that. And I think that's really powerful yeah. to, to keep them connected to their roots, who they are. Sure. Um, so sure. I think that's that's well, an incredible also, piece that you guys have done. It speaks volumes to them that, like, we didn't rescue
1: them from their culture. We didn't rescue them yes, from their.
0: Parents, that's really right? good. Like,
1: like, like they, they, we are. You know, first of all, their birth parents are amazing people who were not able to care for a child. Not them, like right. a child, any child, right? And that's powerful. And they, yeah. They, you know, like, like we just we were blessed to. You know, we're sitting here. Wanting to have the opportunity to parent a child, and their birth parents had made an adoption plan for them that was so filled with love and care for them. And so, we're just really blessed to be able to step in and, like, and, like, you know, be their parents in that way. And we just try to remind them every day what a blessing they are to us in that way. And so, it really speaks volumes when you're not kind of taking the tack of, like, I rescued you from that, because that's not the case at all. Like, Mm -hmm. their culture is just infused into our family. And so, you know, I call Ethiopia my second homeland. I call Korea my second homeland. Like it is part of who we are now. It is not, yeah. you know, it's not just the culture we got our kids from, you know?
0: Mm, that's really cool. So, yeah. So back to, you realized it was going to take three years to adopt yeah. from so South they, Korea. So then opened you a new program, they like we've opened a new program in Ethiopia and wait
1: times are like nine months. There's tons of need there. And so we're like, okay, like that's obviously a signal that there's not as much need right now in Korea. And um, you know, in Korea international adoption was driven primarily for cultural reasons. So it's almost all boys because uh, they have these things called bloodline documents. And so if you're the son of a single mother, you don't get your mom's last name. The state literally assigns you a random last name and like you have wow. no ancestors. Yeah. So if you're, it's, wow. it's a very patriarchal society. So if you're a girl, you'll get married and all that will be wiped away. Cause you'll take on your husband's bloodline. If you're the son of a single mother, you might never get married because your, your future, your girlfriend's father looks at that and goes, I don't even know who you are. Like, I don't know who your ancestors are. I don't, I don't think I can let my daughter marry you. So it's a very interesting culture from wow. that perspective. Yeah. Right. And so meanwhile, you know, Ethiopia, uh, uh, you know, international adoption was just driven by poverty by the, by the circumstances created by poverty. Right. And so, um, that's a, that's a whole different ball of wax. So it's, it's both boys and girls there, right. In China, it's largely girls because of the one child policy. So it's just fascinating how each country is a little bit different there. So Ethiopia, it's really all about poverty. We, um, You know, we actually have an incredible relationship with our daughter's birth mother there um, because we've gotten to meet her. Yeah, she was, you know, 16 years old, had uh, gotten married and, um, you know, was just in a really, really tough situation. Husband was gone. um, She was pregnant. Um, she did her best to, you know, to care for Emma when she was born and just knew that she couldn't do that on her own as as a 16 year old um, who didn't have a husband now. Right. And so, right. you know, so made it, made an adoption plan for her. And so we we got to meet her on that trip, got to reconnect with her on another trip. And every time I go back, uh, you know, we we try to have dinner with her and connect with her and see her. And she's just kind of a part of our family now, which is super cool. Um, yeah, so, so that, that, that's how awesome. we got into Ethiopia. Yeah. And, and, and so, you know, applied, got matched, you know, with, with Emma and, uh, brought her home in the fall. Yeah. actually it was like Christmas 2009.
0: Okay. And then if I'm hearing this or remembering this correctly, you had gone back to Ethiopia once and then met your third child that you yeah. decided to bring home or yeah. decided so the, to adopt.
1: The, the visit to Ethiopia to bring Emma home was life changing because you know, to be, and I'm going to say something, that probably doesn't sound like very politically correct, but like, I I, I would candidly say that I saw true poverty for the first time. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like, like I know that we have poverty in the United States and I don't, I don't, I don't want to say anything that like tries to belittle the challenges or the pain that, that, that people in the U S face. But I, I would just say like, with respect, like, a number of the poor people that we have in the United States have iPhones. Okay. Like, like, it's almost a choice for some. I, I I mean, even people who have like really tough circumstances, the quality of life of a, of a person in poverty in the United States is like Hmm. infinitely better than the quality of life for a person in poverty in Ethiopia, mm. number one. Yeah. Number two, right. the percentage of people who are in poverty in Ethiopia is mammothly higher than the percentage of people in poverty in the United States. Okay. So it's just, a, it's just a totally different spectrum. Different. And, yeah. okay. um, you, you know, so, so it was a life changing trip for us. And when I, uh, when I, when I, when I saw that, like I, I was just gripped by that and, and Casey was too. And, we just said like we've got to figure out a way to like get involved in this. Like like it's great that we've adopted that we can do something by adopting these two kids, but like mm-hmm. you know, the west can't just adopt all of Africa's children, right? Like that's not the, the sustainable, it's part of the solution, but it's a tiny part of the solution, right? Like the real solution is to prevent orphans from occurring in the first place. And so Mm -hmm. that, that just kind of led us to get involved with this really cool school project in Ethiopia. And we were raising some money for it and we were taking teams of people back to kind of see the project. And on one of those trips, uh, we, we took the team to a public orphanage up in Addis, and the idea was like, we're going to go see the situation that our school project is trying to prevent, right? So I, I just kind of wanted right. the team to have eyes to see, you know, what, what we're trying to prevent here. And, you know, I got to tell you, like, I walked into one of the toughest things I think I've still ever seen in my life. It is a much better place today, frankly, than it was then. But like, uh, Ethiopia for a period of time was controlled by the Soviets, Um, they, they were kind of taken over by the communists and, 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 and kind of run with Soviet influence. And, um, this orphanage was built during that time. So like, literally we're talking about like the soulless Soviet architecture, right. Of this institution. And it's a all boys orphanage with like 220 boys and maybe eight or 10 staff members. Like boys practicing their English. were writing things on the wall. Like we do not know why we have been brought into this world right? Mm. And when you, when you see stuff like that, like it's just, um, so I was, I I don't know, I was kind of overdone by, Mm -hmm. by this visit to this, to this orphanage, you know, so much so that I, like, I barely remember. I mean, I took the picture of my wife with our future son at that visit. And I, don't wow. really remember it all that well because I was so wow. overdone by this visit. Yeah, but yeah. when we walked onto the grounds of that orphanage, Teddy, uh, who became our oldest, uh, came running up and grabbed my wife's hand. And as my wife tells the story, like you know, like many kids held my left hand throughout that visit, and only one kid held my right hand throughout that visit, and he would not let go. Um, and and so, you know, it's interesting. It was not like some overnight thing. Um, A year later, uh, she that really like stuck with her. And so she had like written done some writing about it. So like a year later, I'm taking a trip. I'm taking another team back. She wasn't going to go on the trip that year. I'm taking another team back. She goes, are you taking the team to Colfe?" And I said, yeah, she goes, um, I, you know you're taking blankets from our church and whatever like I want you to try and reconnect with this kid whose you know hand I held when I was on the and she shows me the picture that I took right she's like, I want you to like find this kid and reconnect with him <laughs> out of, and, out of know, 200 kids a
0: yeah
1: right and I'm like, where is this going you know and she's like, right, I don't right. know like maybe one of our friends might want to adopt him I'm like, oh sure, one of our friends right <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. you know so I was really good like I was like we've got two boy, girl, like I, I, I am in good shape. Like I am, I'm am good to go, busy job, crazy life. Like I, you know, I, I don't really see the need for a, 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 you know, a third at the, at the moment in time. Um, you know, and I will just say that like, I, I, I went back, reconnected with him, um, you know, quietly talked to the orphanage director. Do you think he's eligible for international adoption? He said, Oh, I think so, man, he's such a great kid. And, you know, I thought that too. And so like, we're trying to, find somebody for you know for, for, think about our friends who might want to adopt yeah. the kid right so so yeah so i i you know it took months frankly for me to kind of come to grips with that i mean and meanwhile like the adoption agency can't find his paperwork or anything like that so uh we literally in uh, this was now april of like 2014 april of 2014 i i you know so we met him fall of 2012 i went back october of 2013 And, and this is now six months later and they can't find his paperwork. And I'm like, sweetie, they just don't know how to say no. Like he's not eligible for international adoption. They don't know how to say no. And so we just need to like, let this go. Like, and she's like, yeah, you're right. Like we weren't trying to do a third adoption. So we're not like, let's start over with a different kid. We're just like, okay, this wasn't meant to be. It's okay. Like we're, we're, you know um, we're, we're going to try to reconnect with him when we go in the fall of 2014 and just see him, you know, And, and, and there you go. And so uh, literally September 12th, 2014, I get a reply to a March 1st email. We found his paperwork. He's eligible for adoption. You have 48 hours to decide. And I'm like, (laughs) yeah, not not kidding. And I'm like, what? 48 hours to decide? They're like, we don't hold kids. And I'm like, all evidence to the contrary. OK, like I I, I mean, you, you've been holding this kid for a long time. Uh, and so so anyway, that was an interesting, uh, you know, weekend in our household. But we decided to move forward and told Spencer and Emma and they were super excited. I was you know, one of the things i had been stressed about is this changed birth order for us. Right. So, yeah, my first thing was going to not be the oldest anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. I was stressed about that and I, I, but you know, I kind of like what I felt impressed upon me was like, look, he will always be your first son and there is a role for him to play. And there's a role that Teddy could play as your oldest. And so I'd kind of come to grips with that. And then we're like, it's not going to happen. And then six months later, bam, this is happening. Right. So I'm talking to him about this and literally this is how it went. I'm like Spencer, you know, we're, we're, we're showing him, we're talking to him and he kind of like two clicks and he goes, So this means I won't be the oldest anymore. And I said, well, yeah, you know, that's true. But you'll always be my first son. Like, you're the one who made me a dad. So, like, I feel like everybody will have something special. Like, you'll be first, Teddy will be oldest, and we'll be youngest. And he liked that a lot. And then, you know, like two clicks later, he goes, whoa, this means he's going to get to have an iPhone before I do. (laughs) <laughs> you know, like that was a reaction. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this whole thing. I'm like, well, that is possible, son. That is possible. So so anyway, it, it, it worked out well. But it took that was September of 2014. It took until April of 2016 to actually get him home. Uh, just wow. a long drawn process. And part of it is that he was an it, it was an identified child adoption. So that is what human trafficking looks like. So they just do a lot of vetting, right? It's not a licensed adoption agency matching you blindly with a child. Like you're saying, I want to adopt this child. I want this. So it's age. just yeah. a lot more betting. Wow. So, what an interesting
0: thing yeah. to go through too, to have questions and be questioned in the sense of, I mean, we know how dark and yeah. how awful the human trafficking yeah. side is to then, to then be looked at and, and questioned in a sense of those things. So well, wow. I, the good I just is love- that, like it's not it's not that like they, they don't accuse
1: you of it, right? Like they're just they're just right. sitting there, they're digging deep into your background. They wanna they wanna understand everything about you, and uh, you know, you've got letters from your from your pastor and your employer and your this and your that and your marriage licenses and your birth certificates and your like everything, so that they can all validate it and go, Yep, this 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 passes muster.
0: Yeah. Man, I, I think we could just talk for hours about, you know, bringing home the older, you know, an older child into the home. And yep. and now you're not dealing with an eight-month-old who isn't talking yet. You're, you're bringing somebody in who, <laughs> who there's the language. Yep. So I feel like there's so many things we could talk about. But I would love to go to one last question before we end sure. that I think would be really powerful as as we think about the role of fathers. And everything that you've shared yep. over the last last hour we've been talking – is this freedom, right? Like you've had the freedom and the opportunity to do these things. And one of the things you talked about right before we started, uh, we hit record was the opportunity we have as parents to teach our children financial literacy. And, Mm. and this is such an issue in our world. I mean, even, I mean, look at, you know, most Americans spend, I don't know what the statistic is, but it's like 110% of their income or something ridiculous. Right. Right. And so we're never, we never feel in a position to, be able to do the things you're talking about because we feel like we're just trapped in our own world. And so I think as fathers, we have an enormous opportunity to look beyond ourselves at our kids' future. How do we learn financial uh, freedom for ourselves and teach it to our children? And it's something that all of us have access to with a computer and uh, time. So tell me about the the tool you were using with your own kids and maybe yeah, your thoughts absolutely. about what I what I kind of said. No, I love that,
1: and and it's so it's so critically important to to teach kids about money. So here we are now with like sixteen year old, thirteen year old, eleven year old, and mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. we're we're trying to think about you know, and so we've we've tried to be purposeful about this before, but it's 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 not easy, um, simply because you know. So look, I my my uh, my grandfather was really good with money, and um, uh, so good with money, I'll tell you. My grandmother passed away with literally like $700 like in the bank account. Like she just stuck the landing and he'd passed away like 20 years before that. So like, I'm pretty sure he just planned that all out. Like, I, I, I don't know how that worked, but like, like it was pretty amazing. But, but my grandfather like lived by the adage of like, you, you, you give 10%, you save 10% and you live on 80%. That is what you do. Mm. Like, it doesn't matter what your income is. Give 10, save 10 live on 80. That's what you do. So I was kind of bought up, brought up with that. Like that was gospel of like how, how you're supposed to do it. And so, you know, so we, when we were trying to, a lot of parents try to do this with kids, we were trying to do it with jars, right? So you have, they have their spend jar and their save jar and their give jar, right? The so, Dave Ramsey, I
0: mean, like, we do that with our kids.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's tough. So, so the problem we were always having is like, okay, like I, h- how many, First of all, you know, for us, allowance is like five bucks a week. OK, like that, that's what we're thinking about doing. And like, look, you do your chores, uh, you do them with a smile, like like, you know, you're going to get your allowance on Saturday. And it's five bucks. Right. So, like, think about give 10 percent, save 10 percent with five bucks. OK, we need a bunch of quarters around here and we try <laughs> right, like putting things up in And then how do you do it? So so we ran across this app and I absolutely love it. We are like three weeks into using it and I love it. It is called Greenlight, and it costs the parent five bucks a month, okay? So the fee to the company is like 60 bucks a year, five bucks a month, okay? Like super easy. For five bucks a month, we set up each kid with an app on their phone or their iPod, right? So they, 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 they have access to the app themselves. They get a debit card, okay? And when we set them up, they have spend, they have save, they have uh, give right? Uh, Right there in the app. So it's super cool. So like Spencer has already gone in. We, We didn't ask him to do this. We didn't tell him to do this. Like he goes into the app and sets up immediately a savings goal to buy AirPods. Like he's decided he wants to get AirPods. So he immediately goes in puts a savings goal in for AirPods transfers all of his money into the savings goal for AirPods. Right. Um, You know, and, and so it's super cool. So the allowance is all set up there. The chores are all set up on there. We just, you know, did like the chore check-in for the, you know, for the first time a week or two ago. And so like, you know, Casey goes on the parent app and just goes, yep, they did their chores. You know, that's true. And so let's the allowance go through the allowance, like automatically transfers into their, you know, accounts right on their phones and it puts 10% and 10% into give and save, and it drops 80% into their spend. And then they sit there and go, Spencer's like, I don't want to spend that money right now. I want AirPods. Boom, boom, and puts it into a savings goal for AirPods, nice. right? And stuff like that. Yes. So like, you're just That's learning so cool. those habits. It's super cool. And it's just so easy for parents to do.
0: Yeah, I think uh, it's just powerful. And I mean, this, you know, you've, Uh, are the CEO of a software company for financial advisors, right? And so (laughs) how important is it for you to teach your kids about money? And I would tell you, if you're listening to this right now and you're not good with money, go take a class, go do the Dave Ramsey class, go find something, get a book and learn it alongside your kids. Like help them see that if you're not good at something that you're going to go acquire the skills to be good at it and teach them along the way. Um, And I think that that is something that every single father can do. It doesn't matter how much you make or how much time you have. You can, you can set that aside. And I mean, what, because our schools aren't teaching it. And frankly, I don't want my kids school teaching them how to spend their money. Um, (laughs) so it's a, it's a big opportunity. It's a big opportunity for dads. Um, uh, and you have, you have time to do that. So man, uh, Aaron, thank you so much. I mean, we could just talk forever. I love just your passion for being a dad. I love your story. Um, so yeah, keep being incredible dad, business owner, husband, friend, uh, you know, the work you're doing in Ethiopia and around the world. Um, but really, I thank you for spending time with me today, talking about fatherhood and sharing uh, some thank of your you. field notes so that all of us men could grow in uh, our adventure of fatherhood.
1: That's awesome. Great to be with you.
0: Yeah, it's been really fun. Thank you so much. Isn't Aaron such a rad guy? What an amazing conversation we had around fatherhood. I really loved the moment when I asked him about what his role is as a father and how he started off with provider, but then how he said it's so much more than that. And the word he used was guide. And I just think that as fathers, you and I have an amazing opportunity to be guides to our children. And one of the things that Aaron and I talked about was with money. And sometimes if you're a guide, it means you've gone and done things and figured things out so that you can show someone else. Whether you've figured out your financial situation or not, or how money works for your family, I think figure that out. Go ask, find a mentor, get a book, take a class, and then teach that to your children. Do the hard work now so that you set them up for future success. Amazing opportunity. I want to thank all you dads out there listening to Rebel and Creates Fatherhood Field Notes podcast, What You Do Matters. Don't be like everybody else, be yourself. That is who your kids, spouse, and community needs. This is your guide, Net Shout together, let's rebel against the view that fatherhood has little impact and create lives engaged in the craft of fatherhood. And as a reminder, we have a killer gift. Rebel and create. Started a new opportunity with adventure of fatherhood. We're testing the waters here We have a father's day gift that's on our website, which is partnering up with valiant coffee So this gift has an adventure of fatherhood t-shirt, which is just so rad bag of coffee a mug and the fatherhood legacy journal. Perfect gift for this coming father's day. We're doing a limited run of 50. So if you know a new dad, what a killer gift to give a new dad, or if you just know a great dad on father's day that you'd like to spoil with this rad gift, go check that out. Thank you so much. And we'll talk to you next time.